I think the most important thing for me as a solo developer is to have a community besides my work, other developers to communicate with and to brainstorm with so that I'm not in my ivory tower developing yeah. soft software all on my own. Hey everybody, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jess. And we are two internet friends exploring the intersection of independent business and rails. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Indie Rails. This is another mini episode that we're doing here at Rails World. Jess is coming in over Zoom and I'm here with Ram Yetin, an independent Rails developer doing open source and building products. And welcome to the show, Ram. It's nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to have you. So this is my first time meeting you, Bron. Jeremy, when did you guys meet or did you just meet? We had not met, but I've been following, I've been following you for at least a while on yeah. Twitter. So I was kind of aware of your work with Spinna and excited to talk. So, okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, sounds great. Yeah, it's my first time at a big Rails conference like this, actually. So it's pretty cool to see other people that are using Spinner that I haven't met before. Oh, that's cool. And usually I don't even know how many people are using it. Yeah. I use it as a side project and basically as a kind of a staging environment to test new Rails features. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which I then implement in my actual Rails business. <laughs> right on. Okay. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into Rails, how you got into indie development? Yeah, sure. Well, actually, I've been kind of an entrepreneur since I was like 15, 16 years old, mm. building uh, websites for people. Always enjoyed doing that. I always enjoyed building CMSs for people. I didn't like using stuff like WordPress. <laughs> yeah, Jason is making a, making a little joke. <laughs> he said he's sorry. He wrote, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think he's very, very sorry. Yeah, he really, yeah. He's going to buy us beers after this. I just feel it. <laughs> there you go. But anyway, I built a lot of websites for clients. But at the time, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do as a job later. Yeah. I didn't even think computer science was really a thing I want to do for the rest of my life. So I actually started studying industrial design. Oh, interesting. Which is like something else entirely. But after one year... At university, I decided to drop out because it just wasn't for me. And I started doing computer science instead. I very quickly discovered that it was mostly on the entrepreneurial side that I really enjoyed working on. Mm -hmm. So I uh, simultaneously started my own business, building websites for others. Came across Ruby on Rails around 2009. Oh, right on. And, well, it was very popular at the time. Mm -hmm. So I just started building random stuff with it. And because I was studying computer science, I had to get an, an internship at a company as part of my education. Okay. And at that company, they had this tiny app built for driving schools where they could have planning and invoicing for uh, the entire driving school. So kind of an all-in-one app, but they didn't have a lot of usage. And because I had a great internship there, the owner of that business asked me to take a look at it and see if I could make that work somehow or do something else with it. And I had just started using Ruby on Rails. So I just decided to rewrite it in Ruby on Rails from scratch. Nice. And we started selling it to a couple of driving schools. And one driving school became two driving schools, then five. And now a decade later, we're at uh, 1,600. Oh, wow. 1,600. Yeah. yeah. And the best thing is that I'm still doing it on my own, as in the development. Yeah. Uh, we're a team of six right now, but that's mostly support and sales stuff. And we're actually 
hiring our first junior developer right now because oh, right. actually we need to lower the risk of just relying on one single developer for so many driving schools and students. Yeah. What are the risks for you? Like what has been like 1600 driving schools? Like what would have been the difficulties of doing that on your own? Well, actually I haven't had uh, not many difficulties yeah. and I think that's due to Rails. Yeah. And I mean, Rails has evolved a lot over the, over the last 10 years and Especially frameworks like Turbo have helped me enormously to build native apps for our web app cool. and actually thought at a certain point I have to hire someone to build mobile apps, for example, or just to do DevOps or do some other stuff that I can't do on my own. But I haven't reached that limit yet because yeah. Rails keeps coming out with new features that I can use and just... Well, go to the limit with. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I love hearing that story. I saw the slide on Twitter of DHH presenting the one-man framework or one-person framework. I and a prime example of that. I do too, yeah. I really resonate with your story. I have a similar story and background of building websites, and then I built a couple of SaaS companies, and I've been doing working with those same SaaS companies now for 10, 13 years on some of them, and we have a very small team. Just started bringing on some other developers, so a lot of similarities there. Awesome. So this app is maybe your main business? Is it is. You, okay. Yeah, I've actually started focusing full-time on this app. Well, actually, I'm starting to focus on it full-time one the 1st of January next year. Oh, cool. So I've gradually started doing it more. Yeah. But I've basically built it part-time for about three days a week. That's awesome. Yeah. Have you been involved in the business development, marketing, and sales side of it, or is that... I do have a co-founder, yeah. and my co-founder is mainly doing that. Yeah. But I enjoy working together and just come up with novel ideas to market our app. Yeah. We both brainstorm a lot about product development and how to build new features for, for our users. And we always try to come up with the best kind of feature set that delivers like 80% of the functionality that every driving school would need so that we can prevent having to build it all and then not succeed because I'm on my own and we're not a very big team. Yeah. And I think that that has helped us a lot in the in the last 10 years. And what we discovered is that in the end, most driving schools don't even need all of that functionality and it works a lot better for them now. That's cool. It's so much easier to build software and products when you have paying customers, isn't it? Because uh, yeah, you, it is. they have real problems and you have income so you're not making bets on like trying to solve these problems in advance and you can get real feedback from them on what is needed and you sort of have a source of income to support building the features yeah i also had a service business on the side which was my main business for before this became my full-time job so that actually financed the development of my SaaS business okay was there a time where that was difficult to manage the two no it actually went very organically yeah you're pretty close to Amsterdam, right? How far is that away? <laughs> well, everything in the Netherlands is quite close to Amsterdam. I live around uh, a one and a half hour drive from Amsterdam, which is the other side of the country. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So you basically have the first real world conference in your backyard. Yeah, which is amazing. And I heard the next real conference is going to be in Toronto. So they, yeah, they just announced. Oh, is that the news? Yep. That's cool. Start making plans now. So it's really interesting to hear about an entire business that can support you and co-founder for driving schools. There's so many interesting niches. Do you have any advice for other people that are trying to find product niche 
that they could do small business and small app rails business in. But I think the hard part is that if I went ahead and started looking for a niche, then I wouldn't really have found it. It's just that I stumbled upon it yeah. and kind of worked out over 10 years, but I didn't plan this. Right. I think the most important thing for me as a solo developer is to have a community besides my work, other developers to communicate with and to brainstorm with so that I'm not in my ivory tower developing yeah. software all on my own. Yeah, so maybe it's more of like an openness to the business opportunities that others see where they they see a need and realize that an app would work well or... Yeah, I think solve real problems for real people and just start really, really small and execute that very well. I think that's what we did in the beginning because we were so small. We couldn't build it all. We couldn't build the entire feature set because we started focusing on planning, for example. So we have a great calendar that's very user-friendly that looks like Google Calendar, what they're used to. And I think in the beginning that has convinced a lot of small driving schools to start using our software. And then over time, bigger driving schools saw that we also had other features for them and they migrated later. Cool. That makes sense. So how does Spin at CMS fit into the rest of what you're doing? Well, I really enjoyed working with Ruby on Rails and I was also building a lot of websites for clients. And in the beginning, those websites were built using PHP. I have used a framework. Yeah. It was CodeIgniter. That's what I used. And I built my custom CMS because simply because I like building those kinds of systems and I didn't really like using WordPress at the time. But CodeIgniter was very much influenced by Ruby on Rails. So that's when I started using Ruby on Rails. But there wasn't really a very good CMS that looked like WordPress or that looked more user-friendly for my end clients to use. So I did the only thing I usually do, which is I start building it on my own. Yeah. And I think that... The main thing that I got out of that was that most of our end users, our clients, didn't really need all the flexibility that something like WordPress has. Usually people just asked us to update their logo or add some text and they didn't actually do that themselves. Yeah. So I thought, well, if I can make a CMS that I like working on, then perhaps others might as well. So that's why I made it open source yeah. and that's why I enjoy working on it. And I use it kind of... Still to this day, mostly to experiment on, on other features because I don't build websites for clients anymore, but I still do enjoy developing Spinner CMS. Yeah. When did you roll out a pro version of Spinner? I think that was around two years ago. Okay. What led you to do that? And what features does that bring to the table? Well, we have a couple of pro features that include having multiple concepts, multiple drafts for a page, have a version, a version history, we have a couple of what we call page parts that are not included in the standard version. These are all things that anyone could build on their own, of course, but we make it easy to just get a pro license and have them all included in the package. There's a couple of other things like search, which is integrated, which I really like. I've included a plugin to receive messages from contact forms. Mm -hmm. I use web Action Cable and WebSockets to deliver those. So the UI is pretty nice. And I've included a plugin to manage 404s and redirects. So Spinner automatically redirects pages when you're changing page titles. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about that. But sometimes when you're migrating a website, you already have pages in Google. Yeah. You want to migrate those to your new pages. I've had to deal with that many times. Yeah. Preserving all the old links. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I want to take a second to thank Buzzsprout, our sponsor for this special episode. 
If you haven't heard about them, Buzzsprout is the world's largest premium podcast hosting platform built on Rails. They partnered up with the Rails Foundation to sponsor the Rails World Podcast Program, where Ruby and Rails podcasters could record episodes of their podcast during Rails World in a dedicated recording booth they set up in the sponsor lounge. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, you will need a good hosting platform, so you should check out Buzzsprout. They are big supporters of the Ruby and Rails ecosystems, and from my experience, genuine and caring folks. Find out more about them at buzzsprout.com. How have people found the CMS? Do you do a lot of marketing? Is it just been people finding it through GitHub? or We actually do, uh, I do zero marketing. Okay. Yeah. So I think most people find it through GitHub or my Twitter profile. Yeah. We also have Ruby Toolbox, which is, I think, the top referral. That makes of, sense. Uh, our website. Yeah. On our homepage, we show the number of downloads on Ruby Gems, but I'm not sure how accurate that number is or yeah. what that number actually means. What it means, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, probably why your profile stood out is because you, I think you seem to talk a lot about the feature development that you're doing with it or um, ways that you're doing like things with Turbo, Hotwire, with Spina. Um, so at least from my perspective, you're using Twitter well to market yourself and market Thanks. to CMS, yeah. Yeah, I saw you tweet that you've already upgraded to Rails 7.1, Spinner. Yeah, that's true, but that took one line of code. So <laughs> it was an issue that was open for, I think, two months already. Someone used the beta of Rails 7.1, and I postponed fixing that. Yesterday, 7.1 was released, and I thought, okay, now's the time. Right, jumped on it. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Good little bit of marketing. Yeah, a little bit. I included the photo. <laughs> nice, yeah. I saw another tweet you made about attending RailsS, and you you mentioned that that was your first like big rails conference was that and first small conference actually first yeah. conference yeah. yeah and now you're at rails world i was at RailsConf for my first time this past spring are you enjoying being around all these developers and getting to meet so many new people yeah very much I really liked that I went to RailsSAS first because that was very small and intimate and I got to know a couple of people beforehand. That's when I was always also quite surprised to know that some people already use some of my gems, which That's is cool. really cool to hear. Yeah. And now the past two days, I saw a lot of those same guys again and it's just great to, to reconnect, reconnect with those people and uh, to see what they've been up to, to tell a bit more about what I've been doing and well, the venue is amazing over here. So it's, it's, I think it's really great to, to have it in my backyard also. Yeah. <laughs> I've said to several people before, like going to a smaller conference really helps to, for your first time or like, you know, to meet people so that when you get to a big conference, you have a number of people to talk to already. The big conference like this is, is amazing, but it can be really hard to meet new people. But it's great to go someplace like this when you already have friends and people to reconnect with. So. Yeah, and everyone's so incredibly friendly. Yeah, it's been great. I wanted to ask you again about Plan Go. The tech stack is, the, I guess the back end is Rails. Is it mostly a web app or do you have a mobile app as well? Yeah, I have two native apps as well, or actually four, because we, use, we have iOS and Android. But it's all turbo native, so it sounds like a lot, but it really isn't. But you said four native apps? We have an app for instructors and we have an app for students. Oh, okay. So those are two uh, separate apps. And I have iOS and Android versions for each. How did you get into the iOS development? Well, I was always interested in mobile development. So I started by using Ruby Motion a couple yeah. of years back. 
But that was still kind of like actually iOS development, but then in Ruby. So I had to really learn iOS development. And I followed an online course. I think it was on Pluralsight or platform that they took over, Codecademy. Or Greg Pollack was the instructor. I'm not sure what it was called. But I used that one to learn iOS development Mm -hmm. in Objective-C, that was. That helped me a bit to understand the parts iOS apps are made up of. But in the end, I didn't really make anything that went to production using Ruby Motion because it was just way too complicated to do on my own besides Rails. But then Turbo came out and Turbo links native. And well, that changed the game for me. That was just really easy to get started and have something ready and just publish it. And I learned from there. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I like hearing about people being able to have a, a full rail site and manage the mobile app themselves. We had Nadia Odenayu on maybe a couple months ago, and she was talking about doing Turbo Native, and that was super inspiring to hear one person doing web app, mobile apps all together. That's yeah, really impressive. Yeah, and especially with especially with Strata that's coming out now. Yeah, actually coming out. Actually, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it removes so much boilerplate code that I had to use to build those kind of native buttons and menus and stuff. I mean, there's not much left in actual native code. Yeah. So you you really optimized your life and business for the one one person dev team. Are there any things that you wish Rails could give you or anything any things that you're looking for in the future that could improve the efficiency or effectiveness of a single developer? The thing I struggled with most the, over the last couple of years was front end. And the move to Webpacker was hard and and I'm still migrating off Webpacker. Yeah. So now that we have input maps, that has helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. So I I always try to simplify more. So what Rails 7.1 introduced with solid cache and solid queues, I think that'll help me get to a more simpler version of the current app because I can potentially drop Redis, which is another dependency that I don't need anymore. So those kind of improvements help me the most. That makes sense. So with this junior developer that you're planning to hire, what's your strategy in terms of hiring and onboarding a new person? thought about that because as a Rails developer specifically, I think working remotely is very doable. But because we have a very tight-knit team, very small Dutch team, I think it would be cool to have someone on board who could at least a few days in a week could come to the office and work with us just because it's more fun. I mean, we've had a couple of years of working from home. Yeah, And we enjoy coming to the office again. And especially for a junior developer, I think that would be a good thing. But we all aim to have a very good work-life balance. That's very important to us. Not just me as a developer, but everyone on the team. Yeah. Are all your other team members locally there? Do y'all meet in person a lot? Yeah, we all live within uh, two square kilometers. Oh, wow. I think, yeah. Wow. <laughs> High density of uh, Rails developers. Well, you said your other team members are a lot of sales and sales management. And support. Too. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Support. Yeah. 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 High high density in terms of your team. That's cool. So, do you have what are your next steps? Like, what are your goals for the coming years? Are you, do you want to build more products, or do you want to continue focusing on PlanGo? Well, are you doing any consulting? The coming years are going to be full time PlanGo, and we aim to expand in the market. We currently have around a third of all driving schools in the Netherlands as our clients. And we aim to improve that. We can expand that, I think. And then my goal as a well co-founder is to 
uh, lower the risk somewhat of the burden of having that entire app development on myself and especially the maintenance. I mean, if I go on holiday, I always have to bring my MacBook just in case and it would be great if someone else could guard the app for a bit. Prior to this, have you found other ways to mitigate that risk either through a consultant or other services that would help you with operations? Yeah, so most of my apps I've hosted on Heroku. But specifically for Plango, I decided to use a managed hosting service with a business partner that is also from the same city as uh, we are located in. They also employ Ruby developers. So I know that if the app goes down or something's going on, I know that they can log in and debug. Nice. For me, I benefit so much from open source. I have not really made many open source contributions. I have no gems, no libraries that I've done on my own. How has that work for you, like in terms of like your motivation to do that and maybe the benefits that you see out of doing open source work? Can you speak to that at all? Well, the thing is that for my open source work, I mainly built that gem for myself. So what I get out of it is that the cooperation between other developers, it's a very good experience for me because I learn a lot from that as well. I learn how to properly organize my code. I learn how to really think about, is this logical if what I'm programming right now, can others understand this? Is this well documented? Those are all kinds of things that are easy to forget when you're working on a code base on your own, but are very important when you're working on an open source code base. In that sense, maybe it is like you're really having to do product level thinking with a library. Yeah. The way it's consumed and used by other people. Yes. How do you decide how much time to devote to open source efforts. I'm sure you're very busy with your business. And so how do you do that? The issue tracker. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, that's a joke. No. Well, it's not that it takes me a lot of time to work on it these days because it's quite stable and it's not like I develop a lot of new features every, every month, basically just what I need. And then I deploy those. Just when I feel like it, I mean, on the weekends, sometimes I have a uh, Saturday night off Mm -hmm. and I just go and sit behind my MacBook and work on uh, on Spinner for uh, for a couple of hours. Yeah. And that's usually enough to build cool things. Nice to hear that. Do you find that it helps you to have a a side project like that in addition to normal workload that is sort of like your bread and butter, like you have to maintain that and support that, but then you have this open source project that is sort of fun to work on and it's different, and it, but it's not as much pressure probably. Yeah, very much. It feels like a greenfield project every time because it's a lot smaller, but it's also a lot cleaner. And I, I enjoy keeping it clean. Yeah. I enjoy testing new features on it. And that's not possible when you have like this big legacy app right. uh, with lots of features that you, that you cannot just remove. Yes. Yeah, I can see that. Brom, thank you so much for coming on the Indie Rails show. It's a fun little interview here. It's sort of a special episode. Where can people find you and find out what you're doing on terms of your business and products and what you're doing online? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. First of all, you can find me on Twitter or X under my, uh, under my handle. That's where I post most things that I uh, that I develop. I do have a blog, but. Those posts are quite old already. So not as old as some of mine. Uh, I think <laughs> I think every every developer has a neglected blog. Yours isn't terribly neglected. Uh, well, actually, my, my hotwire posts are being read quite actively. I bet. So. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Where can we find 
It's been a CMS. Finnacms.com. Okay. Yeah, Brian, it was really nice to meet you. I look forward to communicating more with you in the future. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks. It was nice meeting you too. Appreciate it.